Hey guys, good evening. Hey, hey, hey. It's cool to be with you guys. Um, I'm excited to, to get to share the word with you. So the student ministry, we've been doing um, a, a series on biblical friendship. And a few weeks ago, I was led in my, my daily reading to uh, do a word study on, on Barnabas. Um, and that took me through his life with, with Saul slash Paul. And I was burdened that, that the student ministry needed, uh, we all needed to look at what biblical friendship looked like um, through that lens. And, and so, so far, we're about three weeks in, and it's been a big blessing for me personally, um, and I, I think it's been challenging for the students as well. And so I'm going to actually preach an abbreviated version of the message I preached on Sunday with the students. Um, and so students, this is going to sound familiar, but it'd be good. Be good to be reminded of these things. And so I think in light of um, our circumstances, in light of coming back from quarantine as we're starting to gather again, and, and unity is a thing that um, has already been talked about a lot, I think that the Lord is just organizing all of, of this very intentionally, and I think this is maybe what, what we need. Um, we have an obvious need for biblical friendship. So we're going to look at what the Bible says about being a biblical friend to our brothers and sisters in Christ and, and also to the world. And so flipping your Bible to Acts chapter 14, that's where we're going to dig in. And while you're getting there, I'm going to tell a brief story about... Um, one of my biblical friends, my wife, I'm going to, I, I need to be up front. So my wife is not perfect. Okay. Kylie, you are not perfect, but I'm going to speak very highly of her. And I just want to relieve the pressure so that if I talk her up so high that uh, she knows that I don't, I don't, you know, hold her to the standard of perfection and, and you shouldn't either. But 10 years ago, I began to come, uh, I began coming to Midtown with Brian Bustos. He invited me um, to to attend on Tuesday nights and to help serve on the worship team from time to time. Um, and while, while Brian was discipling me, um, I, I wanted to help and join in what, with whatever ministry he was doing. Um, and I was excited to do that. On one of the first nights that I came here with Brian about 10 years ago to serve on the praise team, we broke up um, into small prayer groups, and Kylie Best was sitting near where, where Joel is sitting, um, and she was the only person in the entire church, except for obviously Brian, that I, that I really knew, and so I went and sat near her, uh, because we went to high school together. So I sit next to Kylie, and we're praying during the breakout session, and for the following months, I'll just fast forward a little bit. For the following months after that, she and I became very good friends and eventually entered a relationship that led to our marriage, two children, and many years of fruitful ministry that we're still enjoying today. But one of the many things that stood out to me about Kylie um, was that she was always very, very honest with me uh, and that she was also completely in love with God and with his word. She was also bound and determined to serve him and give her life to missions. I mean, she was like really hardcore. And if you know Kylie today, she's not much different. I don't think that motherhood has slowed her drive down uh, in any of those areas. She, she loves the word and she's still very, very honest. And that was one thing that really drew me into to this friendship, right? She told me how it was. She was at the time... Uh, and even today, investing the Word of God into disciples, 
uh, in the coworkers and the friends and in the family members, she was a real deal. But she was about 100 times more spiritual than I was at the time. Today, she's still gung-ho. She's forward. She's a bold woman of God who wants nothing more than to preach God's word to the lost and invest into the souls of women. That's what she wants. That's what she's about. But she's about preaching. Uh, Kylie Gracier is my best friend. And I'm so incredibly thankful for her and for her determination to preach the gospel. She is humbling to me. This evening, we're going we're to cover three parts of the story from Acts chapter 14 uh, that describe our main character, Barnabas, and his BF, which means biblical friend, yes. His, his BF, Paul, preaching the gospel despite a variety of challenges and temptations. I have to say that that joke went over a lot better in here than in student ministry. Thank you for laughing at that. They all just despise me. Um... So this is good. This is going to be a lot. This will be better. Okay. So we're going to look at um, just four verses from um, this first section, which is Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. So if you want to look there, uh, I'm going to read some verses and give some context, and then we'll pull some application. It says, in verse 2 and 3, it says, after Paul and Barnabas show up, they preach the gospel. Some people believe, some people don't. Okay. And verse 2 says, But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Long time, therefore, abode they, Paul and Barnabas, they, they, they abode there for a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony into the word of his grace. Right? So they're preaching the gospel. People are, are despising the gospel and they're stirring people up against them. And yet, Paul and Barnabas stay and preach, right? Then verses 6 and 7 um, say, they were aware of it. And they were aware of, of it. Now, what they're aware of is that these people that were despising the preaching of the gospel, they're despising Paul and Barnabas. They decide they're, they're going to kill Paul and Barnabas. They're going to take him out. So they're going to stone him. And they're going to run him out or kill him. Right? So what Paul and Barnabas do, they were aware of it, and what they do is, is they fled unto Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and into the region that lieth round about. It's not that they just fled. What they do in verse 7, it says, and there they preached the gospel. So despite the rallying up of, of, of the people against the apostles and the gospel, they determined that they're going to preach the gospel, regardless of where they end up, Regardless of who they're preaching to, they are ready and determined to preach the gospel. That's pretty strong. That's pretty significant. And I think we, we, we see where Paul is coming from in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, that says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. He didn't think he's awesome. There's no glory for him staying there and preaching and then going to the next town and preaching. He says, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me, if I preach not the gospel. Paul recognizes and felt it necessary to preach no matter what. I don't feel that way all the time. Do you? I think if we're honest, we don't feel that way all the time. We don't feel like there's necessity laid upon us. 
how did he get to that point? How does, he, how does he have this burden for the souls? And really, how do we get this burden to preach the gospel, to have a burden for the, for the lost? How do we get there? It comes from one judgment. We have to make one judgment, one assessment. And that assessment is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. That says, for the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge. Here's what we judge. That if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. In other words, Jesus came and died for all of us who were dead in our sins, right? We're dead. He gave his life for us so that we can live for ourselves now? No way. He gave everything for us, and so what gives us the right to hold anything back? Well, nothing. We can't. We, we have to obey everything that he says. We have to lay all that we have down at his feet and surrender. And what's the call for us? It's to preach the gospel, right? So we judge, this is the judgment we make, that we owe everything to Christ because he died for us and gave his all. Now, the OG Doug Fife. That was a better response, too. That's good. Keep, keep that coming. That helps me. The OG Doug Fife. So Nate Fife's father, Nate and James and Paul Fife's father, he said a, a, a few years ago when I was talking to him, I think it was around the time where he was retiring from a career of, of being a hardworking man, a laborer, and, and he said this to me. He said, I get up and read my Bible at 5 a.m. every day because God gave his best for me. So I naturally want to give my best for him. And at the time, I was like, 5, 5 a.m.? God, I, I think my best is like 9 a.m., right? I don't know if I got that Doug Fife in me, right? But because we owe Christ everything, we can follow key point number one, which is this. Key point number one is that biblical friends stand together and preach in the midst of persecution and distress. Because we, we owe everything to Christ. So what are we going to do except obey him? Even when it's hard, I can be okay because God's got it. That's what I, I, I told my, my daughter Josie because she is uh, three and acts like it. And so when something hard happens to her, she tends to you know, melt down. And So we're trying to encourage her that even when it's hard, you can be okay because God's got it. And I think we could even alter that. Even when it's hard, we can obey because God's got it, right? Even when it's hard, we preach the word. We preach the gospel. And so this also gives us our prayer point, number one. So when we break up to pray momentarily, here's your first point of prayer. Let's pray for reception of the gospel in our city and in missions. Let's pray for soft soil. Soft hearts, ready to receive the word. The second chunk of the passage that, that we're going to look at is verses 8 through 18. And so we're going to hone in here on verse 14 and 15. Um, I'll give you some context beforehand here. So Paul and Barnabas, they, they, they leave, they go to Lystra, and um, there's a, a crippled man 
And Paul says to him, stand up. And the crippled man stands up. He's healed. And this is all in an effort to show that the gospel is true. This is, this is a sign that's showing that, hey, the word of God is being spoken. Hey, this guy is from the Lord. And so he says, stand up. He gets up, and instead of the people nearby saying, wow, we want to listen to the gospel now, they said, wow, we want to worship Paul. Because he just did something really incredible. And so they begin to worship Paul and Barnabas. And they're calling them uh, Jupiter and Mercurius. Mercurius, however you say that guy's name. And so the priest of Jupiter, this false religious priest, he, he rolls up with an ox and he's ready to sacrifice because the gods have come down to earth, right? And so now we have verse 14 and 15, which says, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people crying out and saying, sirs, why do you these things? We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that you should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein. So the people are worshiping Paul and Barnabas. And in their worship of these men, the, 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 the priest, he rolls up, he's sacrificing, and Paul and Barnabas vehemently, passionately say no, right? They're very far from being nonchalant about this. They won't let these people's view of them change their agenda. They won't cave to the praise. They won't show preference to the people who worship them. They shut it down because they don't pick and choose who they preach to. So here's a question. How many of, how many of us would let them like sacrifice the oxen? I mean, maybe we wouldn't, like, actually, but when people come up and, and you know, we text in our, in our uh, group chats and we're like, hey, pray for this person I just got to preach the gospel to. Pray for this person that they get saved. How many of us are actually waiting for somebody to say, oh, that's great, good work? And we, we want to say, man, praise God, but keep it coming, right? I know that I'm, I'm guilty of that. I'm carnal man I want people to think I'm awesome because I fear what people think about me in my flesh right but James 2 verse 1 says my brethren have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ the Lord of glory with respect of persons we don't believe on Jesus and his death and shed blood on the cross for the whole world and then respect some people Minister to some people, hang around with only certain people because they're rich or cool or love us a lot, and then despise those who don't meet our fleshly, arrogant standards for acceptance. Right? We don't divide the sheep and pick, or divide the, the lost and pick who we're going to preach to and who we're not. And again, Kylie is the ultimate warrior of not being a respecter of persons. I like that about her. She'll preach and reach whoever she is around. So she went and got her nails done for um, Braden and Sophie's wedding. And she's getting a manicure. And she, she calls me on the way home. She's like, Jeff, I just gave the guy who gave me a manicure your number. Because we were talking about the gospel. And so if he calls you, if some random number calls you, that's who it is. And I'm just like, dude, are you kidding me? All of my ministry comes from my wife. All of my outreach is, is Kylie's outreach. It's, our, it's the same with our neighbors. She's reaching out to neighbors. 
or friends that she meets around town. She doesn't pick and choose based on worldly, immature respect and favor. She reaches and preaches the lost. I'll give you a practical example of this. Last night, so I preached this message to the students, right? And I'm preaching, you can't respect people and you gotta be ready to preach. You know, go preach the gospel. And last night, these little kids, uh, they're playing on our basketball goal in the backyard and, and I'm, I'm asking her like, okay, so what's the deal? We're not out there, are we cool with this? Like, I mean, I don't care. It's what we got it for. Should they just play on it? She's like, well, I prefer they ask. I was like, what am I going to go tell them? Like, you have to ask to play on my goal? She's like, yeah. <laughs> and I was, in my heart, I was like, I don't want to go out there and talk to those boys. Because I'm scared. And I'm in youth ministry, right? And I'm like, I don't really, I don't, I didn't say this outwardly. And she was like, you know, I think the best way to do it would be go out there and because they had a loss in the family I saw on Facebook, you could reach out to them and see if they need anything, maybe minister to them a little, and then on your way in, you could say, hey, next time when you come over, just ask. I was like, ah, <laughs> she got me good, man. I, I, and I really was so heated. I was just looking at her like, ah, you listen to the message and you're holding me accountable to it. And ah. but I was scared, so I went out there and, and it was good. She helped me to, to go minister to my neighbors. So how did Kylie, Paul, and Barnabas get to this point of preaching the gospel to anyone and not letting others' judgment of them hinder that? How did they get to that point? How can I, how can you get over the point of this place where, where we're so concerned about what people think about us? Romans 1.16. There's two components of it that will... Uh, that will cling to, that will help us to, to get over this fear of men. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So component number one of this verse is from, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. What we do is we deny our reputation. We deny our popularity, our fame, our, our ego. We deny that. Say, I'm, eh, no thanks. And we identify with Christ. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And I think about Pastor Will. And if you've been to his house in the last, I don't know, a little while, he has a, um, a stained glass window at the very front of his house that says, Jesus saves. It's really huge. And if you drive into his neighborhood, you can't miss his identification. It's Jesus saves, right? He's not worried about what his neighbors think about him. He's worried about their salvation. I want to be like that. And then component two of Romans 1.16 is, is it says, For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. So we recognize the power that the gospel has. If you've ever led someone to the Lord, you know the power the gospel has. If someone in your family has been saved, you know the power the gospel has. And, and no one in the, in the right mind would say, oh, I've seen someone get saved. I've, I've led someone to the Lord, but I don't think I want to do that again. Right? Of course we want to do that again. I want to do that as much as I can. And, and getting back to that place where I recognize the power of the gospel and I want to use it and I want to experience it and I want to share it, man, that power overtakes that fear of men. 
Does that make sense? So key point number two is that biblical friends stand and preach in the heat of peer pressure and distraction. No matter what people think, whatever they're saying, whether they love you or hate you, biblical friends preach the gospel. And that gives us prayer point number two. Am I going too fast? Okay, I'll slow down. Sorry. Prayer point number two is that we need to pray for maturity of our witness and our boldness. We need to pray for that boldness. To have the boldness to run into the crowd and say, no, 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 no. You need to turn into the living God. You're not worshiping me. And this last section is going to be the, the one that drives us home. And so it's Acts chapter 14, verses 19 to 22. We'll start here in verse 19. It says, And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium, who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. So, the evil men who had been pursuing Paul and Barnabas were preaching the gospel back in Iconium, right? And then they left. These guys are back. They actually caught up to him. So they caught up to Paul and Barnabas, and they stoned Paul. And then the disciples are standing around him, seeing their dead friend. And then they see him raise up. I mean, what a dynamic ride their emotions must have gone on. Like, I can't imagine. I, I don't like to even try to imagine one of my biblical friends, one of my BFs, dying. Like, ah, oh, that's horrible for the gospel. I, I, don't, I don't even want to think about it. But then if they were to die and then raise up, I think I might be more scarred from that. Right? But, but what's important here right now is, is the response once Paul rises up. So Paul dies or is close enough to death that everyone thought he was dead. He gets up and then it says in the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. So he gets up and the next day he goes and preaches the gospel. And Barnabas, his best friend just died and he doesn't leave to go back home when Paul dies. Like, I think in my flesh, if Nate gets taken out by the mafia for preaching the gospel to him, I might, like, relocate, right? Like, if people are coming and they're hounding my, my friend group, maybe you're just way cooler and stronger than I am, but I'm a coward. My temptation is going to be, I need to get out of here, right? Not Barnabas. He sticks by his side and then continues with Paul the next day in the ministry. So they continue on the mission and purpose that God gave them. These guys are sticking together through life and death, determined to preach the gospel. And it's because these guys have a different kind of perspective than we do. They have a different perspective on life and death than I do. Paul says in Philippians 1.21, he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
And I hear that often. And I think it goes over my head a little bit and over my heart maybe. And I'm just like, yeah, that's cool. To live as Christ, dies gain. Mm-hmm. But think about it. Paul lived that out. To live as Christ. If he's alive, it's for Christ and his mission. And if he dies, sweet. It's gain. And then if he lives again, he gets back up. And it's Christ's mission. And what that does is it gives him and it gives his biblical friendships an edge. It gives them a little bit of, uh, I heard Sam say this one time, gravel in his gut. Gravel in his gut. Toughness, right? Because what can stop Paul and Barnabas' friendship if death can't? What can stop them from preaching the gospel if death can't? I don't think anything can. They become, their friendship becomes an unstoppable force for the gospel. I know that's what I want in my friendships. Right? And then in Acts 14, 21, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch. So they go to Derbe, they preach, and then they go back to Iconium where the dudes came from who stoned them. You see that? Like the guys that killed him were from here and, and they went there and they killed Paul and then Paul and Barnabas come back to the place where the guys were at. It's like they take Nate out. And so I, I'm like, all right, Nate gets back up. I'm like, that's creepy. Let's go preach the gospel. So then we go over to Liberty and we preach the gospel. And then the mafia is down across the street. And I'm like, Nate, let's go to Main Street. He's like, all right, let's do it. It's crazy, right? So here's the last example of, of, of people hazarding their lives for the gospel's sake. Philippians 2, 29 and 30 says, receive him, Paul says, speaking of Epaphroditus, he says, receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation. People who do this, what we're going to describe here, people like this, we want to hold them in reputation. We want to be friends with them. We want to be like them. Because here's what Epaphroditus did. Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. We're called to receive and recognize men and women who are willing to lay down their physical lives for the work of Christ. And that's the kind of friend I want to be. And that I want to have. Because that friend just mirrors Jesus Christ who laid his life down for us. Right? And it gives us our key point number three. Biblical friends stand and preach in the face of death. Now what's really cool about this picture is, is that's Adam Merritt. And he's one of my BFs. Because not only is everyone wearing black for some reason at this Tuesday night hangout. And that guy looks like the Grim Reaper. But that's actually one of my students who, who ended up coming to an event here. And I couldn't be by his side the whole time. And so Adam knew he was coming. So Adam stood by him in a line for, for a dunk tank thing. And I know because I talked to Adam after this that he was preaching the gospel to this kid. He stepped up. He was preaching because it's go time. This kid hadn't come back to our church since. He had one shot and he took it. And in fact, Adam also went to New York where COVID is taking people out. And he said, I got to go. I got to go help the sick. And I've got to go preach the gospel in the face of death. That guy's hardcore. 
I want to be like Adam when I grow up. And Rachel's like, I want to be like him too. Right? <laughs> so the conclusion of, of being a biblical friend is this. Biblical friends are resolved to preach the gospel no matter what. No matter what. If we're going to be a biblical friend, we're going to be resolved to preach the gospel with our other friends no matter what. Once you get that written down, I'll give you the final prayer point and then we'll close in prayer. The third prayer point is that we need to pray for our changed perspectives. Let's own Philippians 121. We're to live as Christ. You know, you may not die. (laughs) You know, I hope you don't. But to live as Christ, you've got a life. What are we going to do with it? I want to be fully surrendered to preaching the gospel. And I need to be that biblical friend, but I need my biblical friends. I need my wife to say, Jeff, get your yellow belly, soft little self out there and preach the gospel to those little middle schoolers. I need that. And so do you. So let's pray that our perspectives will be changed, that we, we don't have tomorrow. We have today, we have tonight, we have this evening to pray for the lost and maybe to even reach out. So with that, um, I think someone is going to lead us. Pastor Chris is going to lead us in praying over these prayer points. um, And then you guys can break up into small groups.